0: You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson.
1: What's up, everybody? Before you hear this very special episode with Vanessa Van Edwards, I am excited to tell you about a new project that I'm working on. Not Under 30 Experiences, as you know, is our travel company for people ages 21 to 35, but Custom Experiences, which we are leading all over the world. If you are a fitness professional, yoga teacher, health coach, podcaster, blogger, someone with a community, a startup or a company who wants to go bring your group, your community on an international adventure, whether it be to Tulum, Mexico, to Costa Rica, to hike the Inca Trail of Peru, to go to Machu Picchu, uh, to Iceland, a food and wine tour in France, a retreat in Bali, Indonesia. These are all of the opportunities that we have to bring your community on. So we are organizing these things so you can just show up And not have to worry about a thing but hanging out with your friends, your community, your company. If so, send me an email, matt at under30 experiences, or send me a private Instagram message at mattwilsontv. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we are here with Vanessa Van Edwards. She is the lead investigator at Science of People. I'm really excited to talk to her about her new book, Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. She has an amazing TED Talk uh, that I just got done watching, and I'm just really excited to talk to, to Vanessa today. So Vanessa, without further ado, welcome.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: I know your time is short, uh, so I want to make sure we get right into it and and provide as much value as we can for our listeners. And I wanted to actually start off in a place that kind of surprised me. I was going through your website, uh, scienceofpeople.com, and looking at the resources that you have up on there, and you dedicated a very large Portion of the website, in my opinion, to weird facts about Vanessa, including yeah. just for fun, that you love tea, that they serve on airplanes more than any other drink, very random, uh, <laughs> that you hike six days a week, where that's where you do your most creative thinking. You even put your Netflix list up there and admitted to watching The Bachelor. So I'm curious, why did you do that?
0: Okay, this it's funny you asked this question. I did that for this exact reason. So this weird thing was happening where I had my really professional, perfectly written bio on my website and every introduction was the same, whether it was a podcast or on stage, and they were always a little dry and a little distant and it felt like I was always starting off with a nah. like it sounded you know things sound impressive but it wasn't warm and I added one little fact to that page just one on a whim where I wrote my big professional bio that I had a little one-liner that said and addicted to sour patch kids let me tell you more people mentioned my addiction to sour patch kids immediately after I added that and it added this warmth where people say, Oh, my favorite candy is Reese's. I'm a totally, a totally sugar addict. I got bags of Sour Patch Kids. When I would go to events, when I went to book signings, people would bring me bags of Sour Patch Kids. And I thought, here's a bio that I've worked my whole life, (laughs) you know, to get all those accolades. Now, the one mention in Forbes that took five months of pitching the editors at Forbes, the one mention of Entrepreneur magazine that took three years of development. The one mention of my TED Talk, that's two words, got had, you know, was a year's worth of work. But this one kind of silly, kind of funny one-liner creates more rapport and more congeniality than anything else. And so I just started adding more, more and more. And I then we get to have this great fun introduction, which I don't know if people listening find that I like Tian Airplanes more interesting than my TED Talk, but I probably would. Well, I find
1: it interesting and also that you are a recovering, boring, and awkward person as you have described yourself. And this definitely seems like a great tool to be able to open up and establish yourself with whoever is, whoever you're meeting. So I'm curious how people, whether it's whether they have a big fancy bio or not, how can people? be perceived as a little bit more warm when they meet people?
0: Yeah, I think it's the the most important thing I've learned, both in business and in my social life as an adult, is the element of surprise is so underrated. And what I mean by that is, remember when we were little and you were surprised all the time, right? I mean, I felt like I was constantly delighted and surprised by things growing up. And as you get older first of all, you feel like you've seen it all. You know, when I was 22, I knew more than I know now. I felt like I knew it all. I'd seen it all. And so surprise became not only not essential, but actually indicative of me not knowing enough. And so I find that people will often feign not being surprised because they feel like they want to know it all. And what I've learned is as, as adults, we secretly, our inner child, our inner babies, our inner toddlers really still want to be surprised. And so what happens is at all these conferences, or maybe you're pitching investors, people who are listening, or maybe you're um, you know, out there trying to get clients, whatever it is you're working on, people expect you to be doing what you're doing, right? If you're pitching someone, they expect the pitch to come and they feel like they kind of know the basic outline of the pitch. If you're at a networking event, People kind of know what you're going to say. You're going to go up to them and how are you? So what do you do? Where are you from? Great. What you drinking? Sounds good. Have a nice night. We'll connect on LinkedIn. Bye. Same. It's the same, same, same. Even though the job titles are a little different, people are different. The drink is different. It's still pretty much the same. And so if you can add in any small element of surprise, it's like giving a gift to the other person's brain. And I really mean start small. This could be a one-liner at the end of your bio. It could be a PS at the bottom of your email signature. It could be instead of saying, hey, we should grab coffee sometime. Instead of saying that, which we've all heard a million times before, you say, hey, we should grab hot cocoa sometime. Just that one little word switch makes all the difference. And I think that if you can add in surprise to both your social life and your business life, you'll be really surprised at how people light up and are grateful for it.
1: That's really cool. That's really interesting. And are there other surprising things that people could read in your book? I know it starts with, you know, some of the most basic things about body language, but, and I know that we couldn't possibly, first of all, this is uh, an audio only podcast today, (laughs) so it won't be up on YouTube. So it might be A little difficult in the next 25 minutes to hammer out the ins and outs of body language. But what are some of the more surprising things that people might read?
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. So first, if you read it, you might get different surprises than if you listen to it. So in my audio book, thank goodness my publisher wanted me to record it. And I planted some surprises in there. So it's actually a different experience whether you read or listen. And I know you have we, we're on a podcast now, so I figure we probably have some listeners. The biggest thing is I try to take things you've heard a million times before and turn them on their head. So for example, for anyone who's into self-development, you've probably read some Dale Carnegie in your life. And if you haven't read some Dale Carnegie in your life, you've definitely heard some of his cliches. Like his big one is to be interesting, be interested. Right? This is something that we yes. hear all... So I take a lot of those sayings and phrases that we've heard and I flip them. So for example, we'll take that one. That phrase always interested me. I I thought it was great. I thought, yeah, okay, I get it, right? Like, Instead of me showing up with an interesting anecdote or something, I should ask them for their interesting anecdote. Well, I think it wasn't super helpful until I accidentally stumbled upon a slight variation of it which has helped me use it more practically, instead of just keeping it in the back of my mind, which was I had to introduce three different people at a conference I was at, and I was asked to introduce them. And I was like, okay, I got to, you know, I got to blow it out of the, out of the park. That's the right phrase. I got to blow it out of the park. Right. That's the right phrase. I think so.
1: You you can hit it out of the park if you're in a baseball, uh, a baseball game, but you could also blow it. Why not?
0: Oh, I'm I'm like me and the sports. It's
1: like not. <laughs> okay.
0: Right. You can hit it out of the park and make the touchdown. That's the one that I wanted.
1: Making the touchdown. Yes.
0: I know that's not real. I know <laughs> that's not real. Um, so you can hit it out of the park. I was like, I really want to hit it out of the park because I really, these were three amazing speakers. And the problem was I didn't really know much about them. I knew they had written books, but I didn't know anything about their personal life. I didn't know anything about their research. and. I said, Oh, can you send me their introductions? And I said, he's the organizer of the conference said, No, actually, um, we like to have really unique introductions. You're really good at that. He knew about my introduction website. I, I want you to just chat with them and kind of write your own. You're really good at that. <laughs> and I was like, great. So I had 20 minutes in the green room before I had to introduce them for the panel, 20 minutes to write these introductions. And so for 20 minutes, all I did, instead of asking them for the introduction, because they wanted me to do something different, I just asked them questions that would get me answers to be able to do a really dynamic introduction. And the conversation was, I mean, that 20 minutes went by so quickly and we were all laughing and interested and, and we all went out to lunch afterwards. And I thought to myself what happened? Like, why was that so special? And I was like, okay. I sensed that that was, I was interested to be interesting, but actually what I was doing is instead of me trying to impress them, I was letting them impress me and impressing someone is a really a step farther than interesting, interesting. Meh. Okay. Like that wall color is interesting. Fine. Impressive Now, there is a term that I like more, right? That's memorable. That's charismatic. That's someone you want to work with. someone you want to hire. And I realized that because I was searching for their introduction, I was letting them be on a pedestal. I was asking questions to make them as impressive as possible by allowing them to show off their best self. And it created this really interesting dynamic. And so in the book, one of the areas I talk about is how do you let someone be impressive? And part of it is thinking to yourself, if I had to introduce this person on stage in 20 minutes, what questions would I ask? Those are incredibly different questions than, so what do you do? Great. Uh, Been busy lately, right? Conversation takes a totally different dynamic. And that was taking a a small kernel of interesting from Mr. Dale Carnegie and taking it a couple steps further.
1: That's really great. And could you talk a little bit more about Well, it it seems to me that when you allow the person whom you're speaking with to feel very important or feel extremely, you know, more than interesting, that all of a sudden they're going to be in a position where they like you more, even if maybe they might feel flattered a little bit. Flattery, I know, might be a, a strong word, but... If someone see well just what Dale Carnegie is saying if you were very interested in someone then all of a sudden you're just you're creating an interesting moment and people love to talk about themselves so do you find that when you're uh, investigating someone's bio all of a sudden their people are showing off their best selves and they all of a sudden had this really positive interaction with you do you do you
0: find that so it's interesting because there's actually two things that happen when I do this. And I've talked to readers about this now that they've read Captivate um, and they've gone through it. There's sort of two things that happen and, and it's really important to be ready for both. So the first one is the most common. This happens, I think, 80% of the time. We'll go to the twenty eighty rule. 80% of the time, someone lights up, you have a great interaction. Again, it's a sort of a soft form of flattery because you're asking them great questions where they, you're inviting them to, to show up as their best self and to talk about themselves in a way... That really shows off what they worked so hard for, right? Like that's the goal is you're like, you know, you've had success in your life. Tell me all about that success. And that goes right. That's 80% of the time. Now there is 20% of the time where something different happens and it's kind of the opposite and you have to be ready for it because it could be off-putting. Certain VIPs, especially, spend their life talking about themselves, right? Like I go on podcasts all the time with wonderful people like you and people asking about I, my, my ideas. When I'm at a party, the very last thing I want to do is talk about my ideas. Sure. (laughs) You know, like I have no desire to talk about my bio or what I do or my books at all. All I want to do at a party is hear about you. Because on this podcast, Matt, I don't get to ask anything about you, right? Because that's not the way that it's set up. And the curious part of me doesn't like that. So when I'm in a social environment or even a networking environment... I don't want to talk about me. So I've noticed this happen to other people. There's one particular author I'm thinking of. He's very, very, very famous. (laughs) And he runs his own podcast and he has written a lot of books. And I've met him three different times. Once in a green room at South by Southwest, once at a bar, at a conference, outside of a conference, and once through a friend. And the first two times were miserable because I tried to get him to talk about himself. And I didn't realize this until much later that actually the other option is that they don't want to be the entertainer. They want to be entertained. And in that moment, you have a unique opportunity, which is then you don't go into your pitch or you impressing them, but they do want to have their curiosity peaked because they are so constantly talking about themselves. And so the other option is that, okay, if they don't want to talk about themselves, they're giving you really short answers. Like if you ask them a really like a, you know, so are you working on anything exciting recently? "Uh, Yeah. A couple things here and there. Okay. That's a sign. (laughs) They probably don't want to talk about their projects, even if they are working on something exciting. That is your opportunity to talk about something exciting that you are working on. And you should always, always have that answer in your back pocket. You should always have something. It could be a hobby. It could be a business, but hopefully a hobby because sometimes... VIPs especially don't want to be pitched on a business, Sure. some kind of hobby in your back pocket that you are ready to just gush about. And so what happened was the third time is I tried again, try, try, try again. And, um, you know, he kind of rebuffed me and gave me a really curt answer. And so I, I was like, well, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on something really exciting. He raised his eyebrows, he looked at me, he looked at me for the first time, and he said, Oh, really? What? Cause everyone wants, to, if you say, Hey, I'm working on something really exciting. Someone wants to know what it is. And I told him about one of the projects I was working on, it was not work related. It was totally fun. And we had a fantastic conversation about it, but it took three times and almost three fails to get to that place. And so those are one, you should two pieces of challenges for yourself is come up with a really great back pocket tool you can talk about that's not a pitch or work related. And to practice getting someone else to kind of spark with what they're working on if they're willing.
1: No, I, I really appreciate that because especially when you're in a social setting and you say, I think you even said it before, what do you do? It's like, When? Right. When I'm working, when I'm, you know, when I'm with my family, it's important to have other things to, to speak about other than your next exciting project or your next, you know, what, what you do between the hours of, of nine to five. So I'm curious, Vanessa, how people can develop that in themselves
0: yeah, I think this is a really important piece of self-development. And I did a challenge for myself about a year ago where I decided I wasn't going to tell people what I did because I felt like it defined me. So I got to a place in my career. It was right after my book launch and the book launch was really successful because I put literally my, my life into this book launch. And it was, I felt like all there was about me, right? Like I would see friends, they'd be like, how was the book launch? I'd be like, great. (laughs) Talk about like, that was it. And I was like, something is not right here. Like that, that should not be, yes, I'm proud of it, but I am not captivate, right? Like my book is its own thing and it can't just be everything that I think about and talk about. So I made a challenge for myself that I would not talk about anything that I did. When someone asked me what I do, I would answer the question, well, I'm moonlight as a, cause there's daylighting and moonlighting sure. and I could not say I'm an author. I could not say I run a lab. I could not talk about it. And it was very, very scary at first because I really feel like I didn't have much to talk about, but after a while I was searching for things to do. So the first thing is to think about if you had to answer the question, I'm, or you have to fill in the statement, I moonlight as, do you have an answer? Cause maybe you do you already have one. And if you had to fill in the blank with something else, not your main business, what in your dream world would that be? So for example, with that very big VIP that I mentioned, the exciting project that I was working on is I was learning to grow a tea garden. I love tea as you read on my website. I am obsessed with it and I love gardening, although I'm not the best at it, but I really like it. A for effort and so I decided to try to grow my own tea garden and I was experimenting with like six different kinds of mint and trying to learn how to harvest it and i crush it myself. And so I can have a really long conversation with you about tea and gardening and uh, maybe even a little bit of kitchen herbs. And it's surprising how many people actually do like talking about that and their favorite kinds of tea and the tea journeys and the tea in Asia. And I mean, it's amazing how many conversations you have about that. And it freed me. So the other thing is, what could you talk for hours about? that's not your business.
1: That's amazing. And it has piqued my interest. And I'm even going to ask you a tea question. And I know we have such little time, but I want to visit a tea room. I'm a hardcore coffee drinker. As I actually told you before, I almost spilled my cup of coffee all over my laptop and tangled microphone cords. But I want to visit a tea room, but I don't actually even (laughs) know what that is. I have not been to Japan. I know it's a place where you go and, okay, I'll tell you, in my mind, it's a place where you might go and very mindfully have a nice cup of tea and it might feel very zen or this is something that is built up in my mind. Maybe it's just like any other coffee shop except they serve tea. (sighs) Give me a, a brief primer on how I can scratch this itch in my life.
0: Oh, yeah. You have two choices and they're very exciting in my mind. Uh, One is you can go posh or you can go real. So Mm -hmm. posh, just as fun, is when you go to high tea, typically in a a British hotel. It could be anywhere around the world. You most... Big international chains have some kind of high tea service. And I will tell you, it is fun to be spoiled. They have scones with clotted cream, deep English breakfast tea, beautiful dark black teas, and you get pastries and sandwiches without crust. Posh, fun, everyone should experience it. So I would say you're in Bali, you could go to any international, big international chain and have a lovely high tea with black tea experience or you can do the real deal. And that would be going more the green tea route. And I live in Portland, Oregon. So you're probably gonna have to fly to Portland for this, but it's worth it. Is um, in Portland, Oregon, there is an incredible Japanese tea room in the Japanese gardens and Japanese garden is has won awards as being one of the best Japanese gardens in the United States. And they have an incredible tea room with real authentic green tea. And I would recommend that if you want to go more hardcore.
1: Okay. Excellent. Thank you for that. That it, That's exactly the type of thing that I've never had the opportunity to speak with someone about tea rooms okay. before, but now we're on to a quite interesting yeah, conversation. Exactly.
0: So exactly. travel and food and, you know, have you actually been to Japan? I mean, we could, that could go off for a long time. And I also love travel. So it, you want to think of a topic that's hopefully some sort of a diving board topic where it lets you go off into other areas of things you like, like, Luckily, I like tea, I like travel, I like food, I like culinary experiences. All those things are, we tend to go into those areas and that's also good. So for example, if your hobby is horses, you ride horses, but you don't like farming, you don't like mountains, you don't like animals, I would say maybe pick another one to talk about because that's probably the next, where that topic is going to go off to next.
1: No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And Vanessa, I wanted to ask you, I find, uh, I'll say this delicately, but I find myself in a lot of conversations in my early 30s, and I find myself in so many conversations where I will sit down with a friend who I haven't seen in a little while, or maybe I see them all the time. And the entire, all the person wants to talk about is their upcoming wedding. Or all the person wants to talk about is, uh, you know, the challenge, no no offense, the challenges of breastfeeding, right? Uh, Or it's like, sometimes I just want to talk about something more different, right? Or, Or how could, so my question is, how can people A, avoid just talking about the one thing that's extremely important and relevant to themselves in their their life at that moment, but might not be interesting to everyone listening for the entire time. And then how can people, when they find themselves in that situation, then maybe drum up a conversation about a random thing like tea rooms that might be more interesting than just the the normal uh, I almost said rat race, but you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Conversational rat race. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yes. So This is a really good question. And actually one of my flagship courses called people school. And this question that you just asked was one of my foundational questions for the course that I wanted to answer. So I'm going to pull from that. And there's this concept that I created where I realized that almost everyone has a pet or a pest. They either have a pet project or a pest project. Usually both a pet project is the thing that they could talk about for hours, right? So it could be my tea rooms, but it also could be the fact that I'm a new mother, right? I just had a baby and I could talk about that for hours too, but you might not be so interested in my, (laughs) in my nursing challenges, in diaper challenges. And so even though it is my pet project, it is not your pet project. And you know, I've talked about it a lot before, right? You want to get me off the the normal pet project that I talk about. Right. So I also probably have a pest project. So a pet project is something that I teach about in the course that someone people like to stroke it, right? If you have a pet waiting at home, you think about that pet all day long, right? You're like, Oh, I hope my puppy's okay. As soon as you get home, you, you play with the puppy, you stroke the puppy. A pet project is the same way. It's kind of always lingering in the back of your head. It could be a side hustle. It could be a passion project. It could be a, even a partner, something you really feel like it's, always a little bit there. It always takes a little bit of your love, right? And that's a good thing. Your past project is something that takes your attention in a bad way. So it's something that you worry about. It takes your attention that, you know, when you, when you're laying in bed at night, you kind of, ruminate on it. When you're at work, you worry about it all day. And typically it's something that people either try to hide or feel ashamed of. So unlike a pet project, pet project, people like to share They show pictures of their dog. They want to talk about it all the time. A pest project is a little bit deeper and people are usually worried that people are going to be judged for their pest. And uh, the way that I teach about in the courses, it's the idea of the missing tile, right? If you're in a big room with a tiled ceiling and one tile is missing... Where does your mind go? Where does your eyes go? The missing tile. Not all the good ones, but the bad ones. And that's a problem because that's how people work is they tend to look at what's missing, not necessarily what's good. And so one other option you have is if you feel like someone's over-talked about their pet project, you've heard about it before, you want to get them off, is you can try to find their pest project and make them feel good about it make them feel accepted and understood for that thing that they feel is shameful. And the way that you can even do this very transparently is, let's say that you have someone um, talking about motherhood, I'll be really uh, personal, right? Someone's we're talking about babies, we're talking about motherhood, and you've asked a couple of good questions. You asked a couple of polite questions. You made sure you stoked that pet, or you petted that pet a little bit, Right. And you ask, what's her name? How old is she? Is she rolling yet? Okay, you've asked three really good questions. Great. You could say, you know, my gosh, you must be so tired of talking about motherhood all the time. Let's talk about X or let's talk about something else. Or I don't mean to bog you down. I'm sure everyone asks you the same questions about your daughter all the time. Let's talk about this. It's a marker in the conversation where you're not only giving them permission to leave it, but it's also a really considerate segue. And two things will happen if you do this. One, they're like, Oh, great. (laughs) And they're so happy to talk about something else. Or they really don't want to go off that topic. And you've just learned something very valuable about them. Right? If you have someone who won't stop talking about their pet project, they won't ask you any questions. They won't be flexible. I don't know if that's someone that you really want to be close with, at least for that time. That's really
1: cool. I I really appreciate that approach. So Vanessa, for you, after you're done with your current project, right? You have the, uh, yeah, your current project that we're speaking about now, The Science of People, what do you want to do next?
0: I think it would be really awesome to write and illustrate my own children's book one day. One day I would love to do that. I mean, I've written real books, but I think it'd be really cool to write a book for my children. And I illustrated myself. I do a little bit of painting. I dabble in painting. That, that, that could be a little side hustle I could see me doing uh, one day down the line.
1: Okay. I like it. I like it. That's excellent. And that's not something that you hear every single day. Uh, so no, I,
0: have, I, I think I need to have told four people in my life that. So that's, that's why it's kind of
1: cool. Okay, and, and uh, a few thousand more that'll hear this. So this is, I- this is great. <laughs> this is great. Well, uh, Vanessa, I know you have to get back to very important things, but I wanted to just ask you over, uh, one last overarching piece of advice for our audience. If they just, in general, want to get better with people, what would you tell them?
0: Hmm. That's like asking someone to pick a favorite child.
1: Yes. Let's see. Tell you us know? your favorite. Like
0: your, you know, all your piece of it, all piece of advice feel like they're amazing. I think it would probably be, and this is something I hammer home over and over and over again in my courses is that everyone has their own unique brand of charisma and, Not everyone has to be a bubbly extrovert to be liked and you don't have to be the life of the party to be a great party guest. And so it would be, what is the way that you best interact with people? What have been times that you really felt like you were your best self, that you really felt like you showed up and people liked you for you? And how can you create more experiences like that? Because I don't believe in fake it till you make it. I hate that phrase. I think that you actually are much better off leveraging your natural strengths. And so the question is, what are your natural social strengths?
1: Beautiful. And I set you up for a very generic answer, but you did not take the bait. You went into uh, excellent, deep examples. So uh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. Vanessa, if people want to reach out to you on social media, become part of your community and find out more, I can, of course, direct them in the show notes to captivate the science of succeeding with people, but where can they reach out to you personally?
0: Yeah. So our entire community is within our course, People School. And then you can check out that as well as all of our free videos. We do videos every week at scienceofpeople.com. And um, we have a little free download on Praiseworthy Performance, where I talk about personality and your personality while being social. So uh, you're welcome to come and grab that or join us in our school or just hang out. Excellent, Vanessa. Well, thank you
1: for being so interesting today. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me.